0: Welcome, America, to your Leo Nation. I am the Chief Mark Garrett. I am joined today by the former, recently, and I know (laughs) happily retired, Los Angeles field office special agent in charge, Bill Botner. Bill, how are you today? I'm sorry, of the DEA. I forgot the most important Uh, part. All
1: true facts, Mark. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: (laughs) It's my pleasure. It really is my pleasure. Bill, you've been a guest uh, actually early on in the podcast. You were a guest and really, really uh, did a great job explaining to uh, the audience and to me about uh, the fentanyl crisis, its origins, and um, it really got the show off to a great start having someone like you on and glad to have you back. And, and uh, today um, we're going to focus more on uh, state law enforcement and eh, local law enforcement as well. And I uh, want to get your take, your opinions, your um, your insight to to pretty narrow focused topic today, and uh, going back to California. Yep, going back to well once again, ladies and gentlemen, because as California goes, so goes America. Hopefully not, <laughs> but it certainly is a possibility. Right. You know, and uh, this is why I keep going back there. Look, there are forty million people there, very influential state. I know the state very well, know government very well there, and so that's why I. I uh, go back and talk about really high-profile, high-impact situations, um, political issues, but things that, infor- that affect law enforcement. And something that we're going to talk about today really does affect law enforcement and and really the prosecution side of things. So, with that said, uh, Bill and everybody else, want to talk about some legislation that was passed. Actually, was passed about three years ago, went into effect about two years ago. And to give you a little bit of background, uh, we're going to talk about officer-involved shootings, and the acronym abbreviation is OIS, Officer-Involved Shootings. Uh, and traditionally, when there's an officer-involved shooting um, anywhere in California, generally speaking, the local or local, the county district attorney will be the, the investigating authority as far as, you know, into a homicide. Whenever a life is taken, it's a homicide. It could be justifiable, it could be legal, but it's by definition a homicide. And the DA is gonna conduct their own investigation into that homicide and along with local or county or state law enforcement uh, agencies that conduct the criminal investigation along with the administrative investigation. There are two investigations that kind of happen, and they're separate. So one investigation is, were policies and procedures followed by that respective officer of that respective agency or officers? And was there any violation of the law? Was the shooting legal? So again, at a law enforcement agency, sometimes the agency uh, whose officer was involved Will do the criminal investigation, and sometimes an outside agency will conduct that criminal investigation. This happens a lot with the California Highway Patrol. Sometimes the CHP will conduct their own criminal investigation, and sometimes an outside agency will come and conduct it for them. And it's really a case by case basis. But always, the DA's office in one of those 58 counties in California, wherever the shooting happened, the District Attorney will have a team that will conduct their own investigation into the homicide. And they will rely a lot on the local law enforcement agency. And this is an important part of, of this episode, the podcast, is that they will rely heavily on law enforcement to provide information, not solely, but heavily on that law enforcement agency. To come to their own conclusions, determinations about the legality or lack thereof of the shooting. Now, Bill, you might have some um, uh, might be familiar with this mm-hmm. to some extent with the DEA. Um, obviously, your agency when you were there the, involved in, in OISs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is similar with the feds or local local DA. So it's it's a it's a little bit or,
1: different, but also somewhat similar. Uh, it's the local jurisdiction that does the investigation. We do not do uh, an actual investigate. We did not do actually investigations of our own shootings when we had them. We did an administrative review, but that is after the local authority had done their, let's call it, uh, I don't know if the proper term would be criminal investigation because basically uh, they are looking at it like a homicide and presenting it to the DA and the DA is going to make a decision. So those investigations would still get presented to the DA Uh, in the cases where I was involved. They were, let's call them quote, good shootings. So there was declinations from the DA's office and then they would also have to go to the federal prosecutors uh, to get a declination of, of charges. But uh, yeah, the, the only real difference is we never investigate our own shootings. We just don't have that infrastructure. We don't have that expertise. So we would re- rely on the uh, law enforcement agency in the local jurisdiction where the shooting took place. Well, excellent. And
0: you made some, you made some very, very important points there about resources, about expertise, um, and relying on local law enforcement. And this, whether you knew it or not, man, you hit the nail right on the head about what I'm going to get into. So this legislation that was passed about a few years ago and then implemented, it became effective a couple of years ago was must open it up right now it is california assembly bill or ab california ab 1506 and 1506 in short let me read a little bit here effective july 1st 2021 pursuant to ab 1506 the department of justice or doj is required to investigate incidents of an officer-involved shooting resulting in the death of an unarmed civilian. Officer-involved shooting resulting in the death of an unarmed civilian. The following is DOJ's understanding of the terms used in the statute and to be used as a guidance for all law enforcement partners in determining whether a case falls within the abbot of AB 1506. Now here's th- some definitions. I skipped over a lot of stuff for you, so we can get right to, for everybody, get right to the crux here. Definition. One, officer involved. The shooting is officer involved. The death of the unarmed civilian is caused by a California peace officer within the meeting of penal code section 830, blah, blah, blah. Are they your cop in California? Acting under color of authority. So on duty or representing uh, law enforcement during the shooting. All shootings committed by officers while on duty are officer-involved shootings. Shootings committed by officers while off-duty are considered officer-involved shootings only if the officers is acting under the color of authority. Officers acting under the color of authority when they are performing an act that is made possible only because they are clothed within the authority of law or when they are acting under pretense of law. So, a lot of legal leaves there. But, in short, officer-involved shooting, officers on duty, or they're acting under the color of law, and they kill somebody, and they kill an unarmed person. Shooting a shooting is the discharge of a metal projectile by a firearm. A firearm is a device designed to be used as a weapon, so forth and so on. For which expelled blah 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 blah. Point is, they get very very detailed about what a shooting is and what an officer involved is. Now remember that this legislation says that now the California Department of Justice is going to investigate all officer-involved shootings that result in the death of an unarmed civilian. They were very clear about shooting, about officer-involved, so forth and so on. Unarmed, here's the definition definition of unarmed. An unarmed civilian is anyone who is not in possession of a deadly weapon. I'll say it again. Their definition, this is per the DOJ. An unarmed civilian is anyone who is not in possession of a deadly weapon. I'll skip on down. What's the definition of a deadly weapon? Deadly weapon includes, but is not limited to, any loaded weapon from which a shot readily capable of producing death or serious other serious physical injury may be discharged. Or a switchblade knife, ballistic knife, metal knuckle knife, dagger, billy, blackjack, plastic knuckles, or metal knuckles. By the way, plastic knuckles. <laughs> I don't want to get hit by plastic knuckles. Are they a deadly weapon? Well, the DOJ in California considers plastic knuckles a deadly weapon. Fine. All firearms and BB slash pellet guns, even if unloaded or inoperable, are deadly weapons. I understand that, by the way. An officer can't tell the difference between a loaded and unloaded Mm -hmm. firearm or maybe some pellet guns from an actual gun. Objects that have a legitimate non-weapon purposes are considered deadly weapons only when based on all of the circumstances. They are actually being used in a manner likely to produce death or great bodily injury. The following are examples of objects that have been considered a deadly weapon when used in this manner. Knives, box cutters, screwdrivers, bottles, chains, automobiles, rocks, razor blades, and iron bars, and so forth and so on. So, they include in here, uh, as a deadly weapon, uh, plastic knuckles and a lot of other things, or metal knuckles. So, why do I tell you about the legislation, number one, that... DOJ is taking over all investigations of officer-involved shootings that result in the death of an unarmed civilian. So let me give you a little background. Historically, and up until this legislation went into effect a couple years ago, about two and a half years ago exactly now, when an officer-involved shooting or an OIS occurred, what traditionally happened is that the law enforcement agency, at like least, said, would... Investigate them, themselves or an outside agency. It's the background of the bill that I talked about a minute ago. Now, the DOJ is going to come in and investigate any of those officer involved shootings that uh, meet all of those circumstances elements. Officer involved, resulting in death, unarmed civilian, and now we know what the DOJ considers unarmed. Why do I tell you this? Number one, Bill, you hit on it again when we first started speaking. There's a reason that the DEA decided not to conduct their own investigations. It's because of, thank goodness, the lack of the the number of officer-involved shootings that you guys, you know, maybe compared to other agencies. In other words, there wasn't a lot of of Mm -hmm. volume and one of the best ways to become an expert in something is to re- repeat yourself, is to do it over and over and over. So the best training is on on the job training. And so any agencies, including the California Highway Patrol, if they're not used to doing something over and over and over, they will farm it out to another agency to get their expertise. That's how good agencies work. Hey, we will exchange our expertise for expertise. expertise. It's, it's mutual mm-hmm. aid. We'll do this for you, do this for us so we can better as a team serve the public here serve our citizens the california doj to my knowledge does not have the level of expertise say los angeles police department or los angeles county sheriff's department san francisco <clears throat> police department oakland police department san diego pd san diego county sheriff's department california high patrol Riverside, San Bernardino sheriffs—in other words, these are agencies that are in that investigate officer-involved shootings and civilian and civilian shootings. Unfortunately, on a regular basis, they have incredible expertise. They have the resources, the personnel to do it. Bill, this is this making Absolutely. sense to you? Absolutely.
1: Um, it's interesting because about the time this law was proposed. Uh, The FBI office in Los Angeles, where I worked, reached out to us and said and reached out to all the federal agencies, actually, and said, hey, we'd like you guys to enter in an MOU with us. And it was led by the U.S. attorney. And that MOU would say, MOU meaning Memorandum of Understanding, that MOU would say that the FBI is going to investigate all your officer involved shootings, all the officer involved shootings that your your uh, agency is involved in. And uh, some federal agencies were for it, and honestly, I was not. And there's great, Mark, as you know, there's great men and women working at the FBI. Uh, There are great investigators working at the FBI. They don't investigate shootings day in and day out, just as you just described. So my answer to that was no. Uh, If there's a situation where we feel like we need the FBI to investigate for whatever reason, we will reach out to the FBI But we're going to stick to relying on the local jurisdiction where there really is, and I can't stress this enough, tremendous expertise when they're investigating shootings every single day. Uh, The work that they did, the last OIS we had when I worked at DEA, LAPD investigated and did a phenomenal job, so thorough and detailed. Uh, The one before that was sheriffs, L.A. County Sheriff's Department. uh, Same thing. I, I feel the same way about it. Not to say that the FBI could not do it, but just my opinion is they do not do it. That's that's actually fact. They do not do shooting investigations every day. Why not have uh, expertise and and plan for a better result?
0: Excellent. Couldn't have said it better myself. Could not have said it better myself. We want good outcomes for these investigations. And this is this is where an agency shows humility and and said, listen, we want a good outcome. And it's exactly right. So the question is, why? Why would, the, why would the California DOJ take over these criminal investigations? And by the way, they're also taking these away from, remember, there are 58 counties in Los Angeles. So that means 58 different district, district attorneys throughout California in those respective counties. And they also respond to every, mm-hmm. by the way, every deadly officer-involved shooting. Unarmed, armed, doesn't matter because they do a parallel investigation, gather the facts and rely heavily on law enforcement to come to their conclusions. But now California DOJ, the attorney general's office is what it is. They're going to send out teams and don't know how as far as resources. You know, in other words, they're not a very, very big entity. California is a huge state population geographically. I guess they have that figured out. But the question is why? What's the what's the uh, motivation to take this over from local law enforcement as far as these criminal investigations? I have my theories and I'm going to talk about just two quick examples here, pretty quick, about how impactful this can be. And I want to talk about the unarmed aspect of this. This is why I kept harping on that in the opening about the unarmed. So. Many of you are probably aware, maybe not a lot of you, <clears throat> depending on where you live in the country, but just recently there was a California Highway Patrol officer-involved shooting on the 105 freeway in, in Los Angeles, Los Angeles County. And that shooting resulted in the death of a, an individual, this male individual, who had been on the freeway, and there are multiple 911 calls about this person walking on the freeway and I think interfering with traffic, from what I understand. Officers respond. Fast forward, keeping this very short for you, there was a physical altercation, hand-to-hand combat between the officer and the suspect. From what I understand, there's two versions of this story. The family of the, of the deceased individual is saying that he carried, he carried a stun gun for protection I'm also hearing that he was able to obtain the officer's taser. Either way, everybody agrees he was in possession of a taser or a stun gun. And from the video that you're going to see, it's very, very short video. You'll see if you look carefully, you can actually see him pointing this weapon at the officer. And let's, Anthony, just roll that video real quick. Let's take a look at that and come right back
1: with some comments.
0: Like I said, it was a short video, and we didn't show as much graphic content as as there, but you get the point. Now, in California, if you notice in the definitions I read, the reason the California DOJ is investigating this, is taking the criminal away from the California Highway Patrol, taking the criminal away from L.A. County Sheriff's or whatever agency the CHP may have farmed it out to, is because they consider this individual unarmed so now they're going to investigate this and come to their own conclusions and who knows they because he's unarmed they may say that this is a an illegal homicide a criminal homicide I don't know but the investigation the criminal is now going to be strictly up to the Attorney General's office in California so why did I show you that video why do I harp on the unarmed definitions the plastic um, Knuckle rings are considered deadly weapons, but a taser, a stun gun. Look, if anybody out there, either through training or because you have been apprehended as a result of an officer deploying a taser, you will know that once you are tased, you are not able to move. Now, Bill, I don't know if you have any experience with tasers or even stun guns. Um, And by the way, I declined. Mm -hmm. I said, you didn't have to to be a victim in training. I watched enough of my peers go down. Rubber mats, just like a tree falling over. I I get it. I get it. Imagine yourself, civilian officer or whatever. Imagine yourself being hit by a taser, electrocuted, Mm -hmm. basically, stunned. And being incapacitated. That's a key word.
1: That, no, that's a Good key Lord. word. I, I was going to say, and up until then, you hadn't used that word. Incapacitation. The taser has the ability to incapacitate someone, uh, just like an iron bar has the capacity to inca- incapacitate someone, just like plastic knuckles have the capacity to, to uh, incapacitate someone. Once, a, a police officer can never allow himself to be incapacitated. It creates uh, an exponentially greater danger to himself and then also to the community. The officer gets incapacitated, his gun is taken, he's killed, other people on the freeway are then killed. Uh, There's a lot of things that could happen based on that incapacitation, and you cannot allow it to get to that. Incapacitation, in essence, Mark, go back to that definition that you read. Uh, the the definition of it was deadly. Uh, it, it was a, a deadly weapon, but then also there was some I thought caveat in there where there was some different wording used about some other type of I don't know if it was grave injury or or something like that. It
0: says objects that have a legitimate non weapon purposes. And by the way, I'm reading that literally that the the legislature or whatever couldn't even. Uh, proofread their own writing it should say objects that have uh, anyway, objects that have a legitimate uh, non-weapon purpose are considered deadly weapons only when based on all the circumstances they are actually being used in a manner likely to produce death or right
1: there, they're saying there that if it produces great bodily harm are they not saying that also qualifies Mark, the the way you you read that correct, yes Apparently, because it's not included
0: in there. They do not include, and you're right, by the way, by the way, there are there are examples where someone has been tased, or by the way, even a stun gun, even a criminal where a civilian uses a stun gun, and that person falls and hits their head, resulting in great bodily injury, I think probably right. even death. So you're absolutely right. They, they, I don't know if this is an oversight. I hope they amend this, but as it stands right
1: now, taser stun guns are not included. But a device now, maybe I'm misunderstanding this, Mark, because this is a California law and and they're often difficult. They're often difficult to interpret. (laughs) But so so are we saying that a weapon that causes great bodily harm but not death does not qualify as a deadly weapon? It almost sounds like from the way this is written that they're saying that would qualify as a deadly weapon. So,
0: it, well, you're right. The, the way it says, the way it's written, it says that it might. But in other words, they, they specify, the, here's two points. They specify in the paragraph mm-hmm. above that all of the different instruments that mm-hmm. qualify as deadly weapons, in their opinion. Here's the other fact. The fact is, they have, t- well, by the way, as we, as we produce this episode, as we produce this episode, I have personal knowledge that the DOJ is, is investigating mm-hmm. this incident. Now that may change. Maybe, maybe they go back and look, you know what? Maybe this does cause could cause serious bodily harm. That could change. But as of today, I know that DOJ said they're going to take this mm-hmm. investigation. And that's the bottom line. So whether other objects that they they forgot. You know, they didn't think about they didn't they didn't include that. Um, this might be an example of saying what we forgot about stun guns, tasers, blah, blah, blah. We're going to give this back over to X, Y, Z law enforcement mm-hmm. agency. But as far as I know today, that hasn't happened. And I do know that initially, at least that the DOJ said they're going to take this investigation because they don't consider the taser uh, a weapon, a deadly force weapon. So that's where right. we are right now um again if that changes it changes but we'll see so let me fast forward i was going to read an article about this but i think we kind of made the case clear about what happened um i was just going to read the article uh because listen i get tired i get so aggravated of the way the media portrays people listen god bless this guy i won't even read the article but when you read the article this guy had more problems than anybody should ever have you know homeless uh substance abuse mental psychological emotional issues living in a homeless encampment doesn't have a job it's all articulated in this article here and but the article is written as if he is almost 100 percent victim in here and has no responsibility and it's just another example of one thing on top of another attacking law enforcement rather than just writing down the facts. This is not even an Mm -hmm. opinion piece. And by the way, you can read it. Los Angeles Times, ladies and gentlemen. Go look at the article yourself. I'll give you the headline. Aspiring actor, homeless in L.A., was fatally shot by CHP officer on 105 freeway. That's the article. If you read that, you would think the CHP officers are walking around just shooting people for fun. It's completely uh, underrepresentative unrepresentative of of the facts of the situation of the facts of the incident so with that said i'll let the article slide go read yourself make your own uh assessment of how that article was written i want to go back in time for a reason about a similar but different incident many will remember a few years ago and this is right around immediately after actually um George Floyd uh, in Minnesota, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly, Bill. Uh, you know what yep. the case I'm talking about, right? Okay. So there was a case in, in Georgia. I think it was actually Atlanta proper. It might have been a suburb. I think it was Atlanta. Um, long story short, officers are called to a Wendy's drive through restaurant. The employee said, so there's someone in the line in the drive through who apparently is under the influence. Officers respond. Um, they do a DUI investigation for a long time. The driver of the vehicle is cooperative and, uh, eventually the officers get him out of the car. Once he knows he's going to be arrested, it all
1: goes south and there's a struggle. What happens? Bill, what happened? What happened was he got the taser away from the officer, uh, started running away and then turned and pointed the taser back at the police officer, at which time the police officer uh, fired to defend himself. Exactly.
0: Officer fired. a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, when the officer fired, by the time he could react, draw his weapon, pull the trigger, the suspect, who had just fired the taser at him, was now turning away and was actually shot in the back by the officer, and he died. Initially, that officer was charged with murder by the DA at the time. Fast forward, about uh, two years later, I think it was, the attorney, I think it's the attorney general, pardon me for this, it's an article in, this is CNN. Uh, This is uh, August twenty third, 2022, so over two years later, prosecutor to dismiss charges against Atlanta police officers involved in fatal shooting of Richard Brooks and the it was a Georgia prosecutor it wasn't the local DA who originally charged the officer with murder uh, long story short this fell into the hands of the special prosecutor they looked at all the evidence and what did they consider they consider their circumstances and they also considered the taser to be what a deadly weapon because it could result in serious bodily harm to the officer, also rendering the officer incapacitated, which means that a suspect could do anything they wanted to that officer once he or she couldn't move. These cases are very similar, but there's a big difference. And again, I don't know what the findings are going to be. I've only seen the same video that you've seen. I'm not investigating it. I don't have all the forensic evidence. I don't have the total, uh, totality of the circumstances. But I have a decent idea of what happened. Here's the big difference between these two uh, incidents. One, there was a large physical separation in the Atlanta shooting between the officer and the suspect. But the officer believed that that taser was still capable of reaching him across 20 plus feet, and had those prongs reached him, he might have been up the creek without an ability to defend himself. In California, with the California High Patrol officer, they were physically attached, physically attached, touching each other, when that officer realized the suspect had the ability to stun or to tase him, whatever the device was. There was no separation. And that officer, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, being trained on the taser, maybe actually playing the role of the victim, being tased himself, knows and knew at the time the capability, the potential harm to himself if that device were successfully
1: deployed against him. Bill, I, I think him. you're you're exactly right. There's the suspect in the 105 case. He made the decision to not comply and to fight with the officer. So it stands to reason, would you agree, he made the decision to do harm to the officer at the outset of that? There was a reason why he was fighting with the officer. He wanted to get away, uh, whatever the case. There has to be, in our society, some level of uh, acceptance that when that happens, when, as you said, the fight is on, uh, the police officer is going to have to defend himself. Uh, there's no way to know what that person's intentions are. But it's very, very, in my opinion, very reasonable to assume that if he gets tased by that gentleman or stun gunned by that gentleman and is incapacitated, uh, death is a real possibility. Like death is a real possibility. Then that's the reality of being a cop on the street right now.
0: Uh, well said, my friend. And to that point, Bill, so much has been said uh, about, and by the way, legitimately and understandably so, about mental illness. And this, his own family, this this gentleman who I wish had not put himself in the situation. I wish he were still alive. I wish he were getting the help that he need needed. Um, but his own family made it very clear that. Substance abuse and mental illness were, were pretty much ongoing factors in his life. The officer doesn't have any way, especially in this situation. There's no background check no. on the suspect. There's no building a you know a case on him. This is, you know, you get a call, you respond there, and you end up in a physical altercation. The officer does not have the ability or the time to assess why someone is engaging them physically. They only know what they are. And whether it's mental illness or someone is just an evil person, and by the way, I don't put them in the same category. They're two different things. But the effect is the same for the officer, that he or she has to make a decision how do I defend myself? How do I stop the threat? And that's all the officers trained to do is to stop the threat. And once it gets to a certain level, the options of stopping that threat are limited, mm-hmm. are limited. And this is what happened here. So I said earlier, I go back. Um, and by the way, let's take a look at that video in, in
1: Atlanta, Let's take a look at that. Anthony, play that video real quick.
0: So I just wanted you to see that. And again, I don't know many of you have not seen the video or have seen the video, but for those of you who haven't, you take a look at the one in Los Angeles or L.A. County and you look at the one in Atlanta. And I want you to put yourselves in each of those officers positions. If that officer in Atlanta had the reason to believe that his his life, his safety might be in real peril, and I think that he did, and by the way, so did the Hmm. special prosecutor who dropped the charges to that officer. Why wouldn't we believe that the officer on the 105 freeway in Southern California had the same fear for his safety? Why wouldn't we? We can talk about tactics. We can talk about training, and those are all legitimate topics. I'm all open and all ears about that, about how do we make things better when it comes to officers defending themselves and, and having good outcomes in enforcement contacts. But if we can say that officer in Atlanta had reason to fear for his life, I have no doubt that the officer in Southern California had the same fear. I have no reason to believe he didn't. And I have no reason to believe that he didn't, as quickly as he can, go through his mind and decide, what are my options? And you can say he made the wrong choice. It was the wrong option. Fine. But he is the one who had to make that split decision, not you, Mm -hmm. not me. And he knew what he was up against. And that was a device that could thank you for enforcing it, uh, bill incapacitate yep. him. So we're going to see what the attorney general says. Now, again, if they keep the case from what I understand, if I'm wrong, I, I plead guilty, so to speak, or I understand they're taking this case because they consider a taser, not, not a deadly weapon. Hopefully that'll change. Hope come back and say, guess what? They're going to give it to so-and-so, uh, you know, law enforcement agents, you investigate. And we'll see what happens Now, Here's a question. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Why does anybody think, and Bill, maybe you can give me your opinion and we can have a little back and forth about it, but why do you think or do you have an opinion as to why the DOJ, California Attorney General's Office, decided, or that the legislature, let's put it this way, because it was the legislature who passed this stuff. Why did the California legislature take this stuff away from independent law enforcement agencies and and house it under uh, the attorney general's office for for
1: unarmed Uh, civilians? I think, unfortunately, Mark, probably because uh, they want to change the criteria to what fits their political agenda. In other words, the reality is it doesn't really matter whether a law enforcement officer is defending himself in fear for his life, in fear of being incapacitated. Uh, what matters is, does this shooting go contrary to the political agenda that uh, that the state of California or any state that does this is trying to uh, push? Do you do you know what I mean by that? They want to change. They want to. Uh, they want to have a much more. I hate to even use the word stringent because that makes it sound legitimate, Uh, but they want to have a much more stringent guideline for law enforcement use of forces. Even if those guidelines are not substantiated by uh, current case law or current practices of law enforcement on other like cases, they want to be able to, to, to basically... Uh, They want to be able to have the game played on their field with their rules, which are different rules than anyone else is playing by.
0: Uh, Bingo. Give the man 10 points for a bullseye. Uh, I say uh, amen to your assessment. I will add to it that the fact that there are 58 counties in California Which means there are, I think, I think there are almost 400 law enforcement agencies in California, individual, I believe, something like that. And, of course, you have 58 different DAs in California. Which goes to what you're saying, Bill, that the power now, as far as these investigations, it's decentralized. That... DAs and law enforcement agencies have to make their own individual assessments, case by case by case. And now there's going to be one entity that, based on these particular parameters of unarmed and things like that, are going to make the decision every time. California has been a one-party, supermajority party for about 20 years. And they want to keep it that way. The skill is exactly what you were saying. We're going to house all the power in one place. Right now, it's unarmed. I think that's even a tall task resource-wise to do a proper investigation because you've got 40 million people in California. 10% of them are criminals, so that's 4 million people. And if, if 5% of those are, are mm-hmm. violent criminals, um, that's still a lot, a lot to deal with. My guess is if they figure out a way, and I'm talking about the legislature, the DOJ in California, especially the legislature, that if they can take on more of these shootings, you know, beyond quote unquote unarmed, they will do so if they can't over time. This to me, this is just getting their, their foot in the door and off they go. But you nailed it. Uh, I, I agree with you more. Just wanted to throw yep. in my two cents. So keep an eye out. Ladies and gentlemen, watch, you know, watch what happens. Check the legislation out yourself. Check out the articles yourself. You don't have to take my word for it. Uh, matter of fact, I think we'll link link to that one LA Times article. Vince, Anthony, if you can put that up there, uh, we'll, we'll link to that one this place. Just so you can read the article, read the flavor of it. And uh, and again, it's not an opinion piece. It's supposed <laughs> to be a report, a news article. And uh, it's again, God bless this poor guy who lost his life, who's had a, a horrible life, but he put himself in that situation. The officer didn't want to be there. Um, just doing his job. So, with that, Bill, I want to give a shout out because you have a new platform to starting because you freed yourself from the old job, and now you're like me. You can get out there and speak for yourself and not for the DEA. So I want to give a shout out. It is the Truth, Truth Nation, Nation Podcast, is yes, that sir. right? Yep, Truth Nation Podcast. I'm excited. I think that uh, unfortunately, if you don't like the space, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of me yep. with that too because uh, Bill and I are gonna uh, gotta be together on that. So, but it's Bill's podcast, and I'm proud to to be a part of that as much as uh, Bill will allow. And just really excited. Uh, make sure you pass on uh, your Leo Nation. Follow us, subscribe every place you can. I'm wearing the shirt today, the Leo Project, our nonprofit organization. Easy to find, uh, yourleoproject.org. Send whatever you can to help us to help out as many officers and their families as we can. So, with that, God bless you, Bill Bodner, former DEA. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thanks, Mark. See See you soon.
1: soon.